0: That the church would gather. Every time the people of God would, would meet for worship, there was, there was always sacrifices. There was, there was always to be an offering. Uh, whether it would be gifts of music or sacrifices of praise. Uh, maybe it was bringing a sacrifice in the Old Testament uh, to atone for sin. Or for the people of God to respond to his word, as Paul would say in Romans, as a living sacrifice. And so whenever we gather, we want to bring our offerings and our sacrifice. So I would just remind us again to please go on our website and to give online or call your bank or you can send checks to the church. We have so much that we are still doing, even in this season. Uh, Just a month ago, we took on a new ministry with some missionaries in Uganda uh, who are doing frontline ministry in 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 a country that is a scary place to be where they are, ministering to Muslims. Uh, we're also continuing to find ways to, to reach out to Madcap and to Crossroads and to sponsor and support those ministries. So please, as you can, and as you're blessed, we encourage you to continue to give to the church uh, in this season. We've been turning our eyes to Jesus. We've been looking to his cross in this Lenten season and saying, why a cross? Why did Jesus have to die? We talked about the forgiveness that that offers to us. We talked about it was God's purposes to just bring us back to himself. And last week we looked at the surety of God's word. Jesus died because he said he would. His his word had prophesied that, he had claimed it, and we can always bank on whatever Jesus promises to us. Now this morning we're going to walk very quickly through Ephesians. We won't have enough time to walk through this, so I encourage you to read this whole chapter and to see all that's offered to us, gifted to us, in and through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there 's so much more we could say um, but in the cross, even though there's mystery there's this beautiful simplicity of why Jesus gave himself for us. now I want us to look first though at what we see in these passages as we just heard in this music of the nature of God. we see something of his deep love for us, his his kindness to us, his patience with us and this is this is a phrase in verse four that Not only do we bump into throughout scriptures, but every preacher preaches this. Every preacher has a sermon series based on this, or at least one sermon, where we look at that great conjunction that comes up at the beginning of verse 4. That we were a certain way or in a certain predicament, but God showed up. Hear the weight again of these verses, verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You formerly walked in the course of this world really according to the devil is what Paul says here. You, you formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. And you bump into that all the time. We just finished reading Judges. Samson requests God. He says of God, you're letting me die of thirst, 15, 19, and Judges. But God split the hollow place so that water came out of it. In First Kings 5, 4, David cannot be a part of the house of God because of, uh, of his warring ways, but God has now given me, this is his testimony, God has given me rest on every side. Psalm 49, 15, the foolish are appointed for death, but God will redeem my soul from Sheol. These wonderful words, this is where you were in your situation, but God has come to listen. There's also correction, and you find it in Ephesians as well. But you also find it in Jesus' words in Luke twelve twenty. He's the parable of the rich man, building a new storehouse for all my crops. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. We bump into that phrase over and over again. Typically words of encouragement. This is where you were, but listen, because of God and his great grace, this is who you can be. This is what you can have. But also we want to hear that word as well if it's a word of correction, and you find that here. Verse 4 speaks of the heart and purposes of God. He can and he desires to do a great change in the life of the people of God, to take that which was dead, that which was old, and make it alive and new. And we also bump into this reminder again about grace versus works. And you can say, preacher, we know that. Well, you may know that, but the world doesn't know that. And sadly, too many times, Christians, we can find ourselves battling with works and trying to please God, appease God so that he will love uh, so one Christian author says it this way, As far as the way of salvation is concerned, there are only two religions that this world ever has known or will ever know. The religion of divine accomplishment, which is biblical Christianity, or the religion of human achievement, which includes all other kinds of religion by whatever, by whatever names they may go under. Paul is making sure we know this. Verse 5, verse 8, it is by grace It is always a gift, not by works. You tired? Are you tired in these weeks just trying to maybe care for your family or care for neighbors, care for your extended family in this season? you tired? Tired maybe because of anxiety about job, income? or just all the new things you're having to learn to be able to to, to live out your vocation in these recent weeks. Are you tired? I'm tired. In some ways, I'm tired. It is nothing compared to the soul-crushing, life-wasting tiredness that will come when you and I try to earn or merit our way back to God. It will suck the life out of you. Paul is saying to the church here, it's grace. Otherwise it's this life of constant anxiety. It's this life of, with no vibrancy. It is my prayer that you rest in that. That you know that. And as Paul is saying to the church here and to us, that you live in that that kind of vibrancy, knowing it's a gift of God. It's his desire that you know the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Not only for what has been done, but as we'll see today, what can be done because of his cross. And that's, that's the theory of atonement today. We won't have time to rehearse all of that and go through all of that. But it's this one theory that so many theologians talk about, and it's the victor theory of atonement. Now, for those who saw the cross on Good Friday, it looked as though Christ was the victim. But what theologians have been saying to us for centuries is the cross is victory, and Paul will not let us miss that here. I like how Martin Luther says it. He's playing off that metaphor when God speaks to Job of the hook. God has cast into the world his only son as the angle, and upon the hook he has put Christ's humanity as the worm. Then comes the devil and snaps at the man Christ and devours him. And there, with that, he bites the iron hook, which is the Godhead of Christ, which chokes the devil and his powers, thereby he is thrown to the ground. Martin Luther sounds like a pro wrestler right there. Let me tell you something, brother. My family at night, This is how nerdy our pastoral family is. Not only have we watched the Lord of the Rings, we've watched the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings. And that great line by Gandalf after he has beaten the fiery demon Balrog when he says to the company of the Fellowship of the Ring, I threw down my enemy and smote his ruins upon the mountainside. That's what Paul is saying has happened in the cross. And what Christ has won for us. Hear how he says it in Colossians two, fourteen through fifteen. Speaking of the cross, when Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through the cross. Sin is defeated. Wrath is defeated. Death is defeated. The devil is defeated. I went to a funeral one of Sarah's uncles years ago, and, uh, and something that was said at that funeral has really stuck with me. very, he, he had died early, it was, a, it was a, f- a faithful pastor of the gospel, and so you go brokenhearted for a family member, but brokenhearted for what could have been in ministry. You're hurting for the family, but part of what the pastor said that day has stuck with me. He says, we have come here to laugh. We have come to this funeral service to laugh, to look death right in the face and laugh. And that's the truth of the cross. As broken as we are of our hurts and struggles, we have victory over death. But not just that, Paul says, we can have victory now in this life. Jesus did not die just to forgive us of our sins and of our past, as amazing as that is. What Paul is saying to this church and to us is that Jesus died to forgive you, but he he died to set you free from sin, from the law of sin. John Wesley, when he speaks of Christ's atoning work and what's won for us through the cross, he says he didn't just save you from the guilt of sin, but he died to save you from the power of sin. What is it the hymn writer has said? There's power in the blood. And it's not just to take our, our souls and our hearts that are stained with sin. The hymn writer would say to make them whiter than snow or to take that burden away. But the hymn writer says, life-giving. That I can, I can give service to him now. That I can give praise to him now. Or that phrase, would you over evil a victory win? There's power in in the blood. It's wonder-working power. So what does that, what does that look like? Paul, Paul gets to that a little bit at the close of our passage in verse 10, and that's why I want you to read not just the rest of chapter 2, read all of Ephesians, because he's spelling out, even in this chapter, he's spelling out, here's what you can have. Because of the cross, it's not just forgiveness of what was, but now you, you all can be united. He not only shares that, he says, now you can have the peace of God. Now you can be near to God. He even brings up this word holiness that can happen in your life. And then he spells out even more and more throughout this chapter and the rest of the epistle what we can have. Why? Because as verses 4 through 7 say, Jesus Christ is seated at the high places and we're with him. He was raised up and he has raised us up. God in Christ Jesus is showing us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. And we are even. His workmanship, John Stott, Christian author and scholar, in his, preference to the, in his preface to the commentary on Ephesians, says this about the church, because of what was won for us in the cross. Hear what he says. The church now is to stand out in bright relief. I love that word. We are to stand out in bright relief against the somber background or the background or backdrop of the old world. For God's new society is characterized by life instead of death. And that's what you get throughout this epistle. Old condition, old this, put on new clothes, here's the new standard, here's the new life. Bright relief to this world. What a gift we can give. When you and I not only know the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ through his cross, but also the freeing grace, so that when our co-workers, our neighbors... Uh, or those we, we, we are with in social circles bump into us, they don't just see people redeemed, but they see Jesus sanctifying them. They see Jesus freeing them. What a great gift to be bright relief to this world. Thanks be to Christ for his cross. And Not only we have his forgiveness, not only has he brought us back to the Father, not only has he sh- shown us that his word is sure, but that you and I can have victory in this life. And he he sets that context here in Ephesians 2, a victory, that Christ is over all. There was a seminary professor was asked to speak, to come in and speak to a graduation at at another seminary. Now, I don't know how much money they paid him, but he only spoke nine words. Can you imagine a sermon with only nine words? And notice I asked that when none of you are here uh, today. Nine words. It actually wasn't nine words. It was three words, and he spoke it three times. That was the entire speech to send out these preachers and these missionaries into the work that they would do. Some of them, some of them, going to risk family and life for the kingdom. What were those three words? And he he said it louder each time. God will win. God will win. God will win. He sat down. At the cross, God won. Jesus Christ not only died to forgive us and bring us back, Jesus Christ has victory, not just over eternal death, as we're said here, we were dead in our trespasses, but that you and I can now have life here. We're facing a challenge. We think something's overwhelming. Or maybe we're called to to ministry or to support a ministry. We can know that God will win. But also it's this warning word as we talked about earlier too. Paul calls out that church and says, if you, if you think God is not worried about sin, he says if you think you can play with the, the flesh of the mind, uh, uh, the things of the flesh, verse 3 he says to that as well, God will win. God will win. In the cross, Christ shows himself victorious and secures for us the victory. Maybe you had heard the story of Princess Alice, I think the second daughter of Queen Victoria. Uh, at that time, there was, again, another health issue going through that entire region of black diphtheria. And so they had to quarantine a child, a small child of hers, a son of hers, because he had contracted that. But she found out through one of her servants that he had asked why doesn't, mommy, why doesn't mom kiss me anymore? Why doesn't mom hold me anymore? Moms, what do you do with that? Well, you know what she did. She went to be with her son. And she held him, and they were buried together. Because her touch caused her death. And in Christ Jesus, his touch, becoming incarnate, taking on our flesh, taking on our sins on his cross, caused his death. It's a reminder to us that this mother's love cost her her life. Jesus' love for his bride, the church, cost him everything. She wouldn't abandon her son. Jesus Christ will not abandon his children. But even so much more in verse 4. By his touch, not only has Jesus given his life for us, the verse 4 says he's raised up our lives because of his cross. Where we were in death because of our trespasses, we now can have life and victory. Fiction writer and Christian author Dorothy Sayers says it this way, and we'll close. The disciples had seen the strong hands of God twist the crown of thorns into a crown of glory. And in hands as strong as that, they knew themselves safe. They had misunderstood practically everything Christ had ever said to them, but no matter. The thing made sense at last, and the meaning was far beyond anything they had dreamed. They had expected a walkover. And they beheld a victory. They had expected an earthly Messiah, and they beheld the soul of eternity. How is it? In these days, but also after these days, that you and I are walking in the victory of the cross, knowing His forgiveness, yes, knowing His reconciling love, yes, but also knowing the freedom. From sin, The vibrancy of life that comes through Christ and his cross. And as Paul would say to the church in Corinth, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's pray about that. Father, we confess to you in this season that many of us are tired. This is a time of real struggle. As we are concerned for our family, for our friends, for ourselves, it's a, it's a time when concern and anxiety are knocking at our door. And so we ask for the victory of the cross. That you would remind us again, as you did so beautifully through Paul to this church, you remind us again of your great love, of your kindness, of your patience, but also of your victory. We thank you for this word, for the grace of that is in your cross. May we rest in that and live in that. We praise you and we thank you for the blood of the Lamb of God and for his wonder-working power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.